0: And this is One Strange Thing the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Today, we invite you to take a long, hard look up at the sky. No, not at the sun. Come on now, this isn't TikTok and we aren't heading off to snort cinnamon or fall over milk crates. We want you to consider the mysteries of the air and what might be in it, soaring above, silently, ever watchful, stalking prey on a drifting breeze, following the wind. Winged creatures, birds or bird like things, gods that take on the shapes of birds. Gods that are birds are part of, well, pretty much every human mythological or folkloric tradition. From religion to fairy tales, the bird symbolism is there. The Arabian Rock, the Greek Phoenix, the Thunderbird of North America. Sailors, for instance, they practically have their own canon of birds to keep up with. Albatrosses and swallows and parrots, and we won't even tell you what they do with the wrens. It's honestly macabre, but trust us, there's a lot going on there. But when it comes to birds of true legend, well, on the whole, they tend to be big. Very big. History Channel's Monster Quest Birdzilla Big. In fact, MonsterQuest perked up its scaly antenna when it caught wind of the 1970s era story that we're bringing you today. We imagine they found the central visual pretty difficult to resist. The Birdzilla in question did earn itself other nicknames, like Big Claw and Big Bird, which we'd like to point out was already taken, but that's about all anyone agreed on. Well, that, and when the first sighting occurred. But maybe sighting is actually the wrong word for it. Encounter might be better. And the mother of Marlon Lowe, who was only 10 in 1977, she would probably choose another word altogether. One like attack. It all began in Logan County in central Illinois. It was the tail end of July, and Marlon Lowe was playing in his own backyard. His family had been entertaining friends, as was their habit in the summer. According to researcher Jerry Coleman, it was a few minutes after 8pm, so not quite sunset in late summer, but getting close, and the family had wrapped up their meals. The children were happily playing games around the side of the house, and Marlon's mother Ruth and some of the other adults were tidying up. At least, they were, until they heard the screaming. Local newspapers carried many details of what came after, but Jerry Coleman, who interviewed the family, was able to get the most specific description of how they remembered that July night. And Ruth's memory? It was of her 10-year-old, redheaded son tearing around the side of the house, shrieking. He was being pursued, but not by another child in the midst of a game. Instead, Ruth saw him surrounded by giant black birds. Per the Chicago Daily News, these birds' wingspans seemed almost as large as the children, each spanning at least four feet, and their beaks appeared to be four or five inches long. Ruth later told the Galesburg Register Mail, "'They were the biggest things I've ever seen. I thought, if I tell the police, they'll think I'm crazy.' And they did. But that evening, Her only concern was Marlin. She was probably worried that he might be scratched or pecked or knocked to the ground. She couldn't have imagined her son, who she said weighed about 65 pounds, would be lifted into the air. But according to the Decatur Daily News, Ruth claimed that one of the giant birds swooped down on Marlin and grasped his shoulders with its talons. And then... As she raced toward him in horror, the bird took off with her son into the sky. Well, not far into the sky. According to her interview with Jerry Coleman, Ruth estimated that the bird was perhaps 10 feet into the air with her child, but certainly too high for a mother who would likely prefer her son reach an altitude of zero feet. And as Ruth told the Decatur Daily News, This big black bird, a raptor of some kind, it seemed, carried her son at least 20 to 20 feet further down the length of the yard. It was like a scene out of a movie, or maybe a nightmare. In her interview with Jerry Coleman, Ruth described running toward her son, swinging at the giant bird, while its mate flapped only a hair's distance away. Marlon struggled, Ruth desperately reached for her child, and suddenly, just like that... The bird dropped him. Ruth told Jerry Coleman that the force knocked them both to the ground. The enormous creatures swooped out of the Lowe's yard and disappeared, leaving the family shaken. Others at the gathering, they had seen the great beasts. Of course they had, but perhaps the strangest part of all, per numerous outlets, only Ruth saw Marlin lifted off the ground. Part of the trouble was everyone was spread out and they hadn't had the same vantage points as Ruth, certainly not as poor Marlin. The Lowe's neighbor, James O'Daniels, backed up their story, of the bird sighting at least. He told the Galesburg Register Mail, If I'd had just a can of beer earlier, then I could have said I imagined I saw it, but I didn't have any beer that day. Based on what occurred that evening, we assume Mr. O'Daniels wished that he had imbibed. Now, James O'Daniels hadn't actually seen the raptor-like creature grasp Marlin, but according to the Register Mail, he estimated the birds weighed up to 65 pounds and may have been able to pick up a running boy with the help of momentum. As you might imagine, local authorities, and later, local experts, didn't believe the Lowe story. Perhaps it was too fantastic for them. They didn't discount that there had been birds in the yard. Too many adults had seen them to ignore that. But the authorities were less willing to entertain the fact that a bird could have had the capability to actually pick up a 65-pound child and haul him skyward like a sack of birdseed. They were also unimpressed by Ruth Lowe's description of the birds themselves. Per the Decatur Daily Review, Ruth had made the trek to the local library to consult their ornithology books in hopes of identifying the birds that had dive-bombed her yard and attempted to steal away her child. After poring over the choices, she thought the condor, the California condor, looked like the most likely culprit. Condors, a variety of vulture, have an impressive wingspan, black and white feathers, and a critically endangered population size. They weigh somewhere around 24 pounds, so about half a Marlin low. In 1977, there were less than 50 left, and, per the Decatur Daily News, they had never been reported outside Southern California. With the news of Marlin's flight and the possible condor label, experts, ornithologists of every stripe, and biologists and naturalists to boot, seemed to come out of the woodwork to weigh in. Some, like the Logan County Conservation Officer, A.A. Merver, were frank. He told the Galesburg Register Mail, I don't think the child was picked up. He told the Register Mail that the likeliest birds, turkey or king vultures, wouldn't have been able to do that. And actually, turkey vultures were a popular guess among all the bird enthusiasts. After all, they are very common in the Midwest. Based on what the experts in 1977 were saying, it seems that the residents of Illinois should have had yards full of turkey vultures just hanging around and waiting for local rodents to drop dead. And pretty much everyone journalist interviewed was sure that Ruth and her neighbors must have mistaken a turkey vulture for the more exotic condor. According to the Decatur Daily News, Vernon Kleen, with the State Conservation Department had a theory that could explain Marlin's experience and wrap things up nicely in a turkey vulture-shaped package. A case of adolescent hijinks. No, not Marlin's. The birds. Vernon's idea went like this. The birds that had attacked the Lowe's weren't actually attacking at all. They were just learning. Or put differently, They were just teenage turkey vultures, who were the equivalent of those, be patient, student driver cars that you see out on the road. Vernon Clean told the review, They were probably just learning to fly and not paying attention, and the children were probably frightened and trying to get away. He pointed out that turkey vultures are a common sight in Illinois, and that their claws are suited for perching only, a.k.a not for grasping the shoulders of children and then taking flight. I'm not discounting that they saw some big birds, he said, with the passive-aggressive politeness that can only be communicated in a newspaper. The Daily Review ended their article with the following quote. Keene indicated he would prefer to see no more stories about the incident. Vernon Clean would not get his wish. If he thought the sightings would stop with the Lowe's, he was dead wrong. Ruth and Marlon Lowe weren't the only people to have a run-in with the birds. In fact, within a week, those birds would have a nickname, Big Claw. Or, should we say, Big Claws. Because it seems that some of their appearances were solo performances, and some were duets. Either way, the nickname originated with a local paper, Pantograph, whose staff seemed to be having entirely too much fun with the whole affair. Across central Illinois, bird sightings flitted in from farmhouses and highways and fishermen, and quite unusually for this podcast, some folks even managed to provide blurry photo evidence. One lucky man even shot alleged live footage. Of course, if live footage ever solved a mystery, we would have settled the Bigfoot issue long ago. Back to the sightings. One witness was James Majors, who'd had his encounter while on the road. James, a letter carrier, was driving his mail truck from Armington, Illinois to Delavan, a distance of about 12 miles, when he saw a pair of birds swooping across the wide open sky. Only one got close enough for a true inspection and it was impressive. He estimated it had a wingspan of at least 8 feet and described it as dark in color with a white ring around its neck. James Majors told the pantograph, This one got within, oh, I would say 30 to 50 feet from my truck. Of course, I'm busy ramming on the brakes, wondering what the heck is happening. It was a pretty good-sized bird. This was emphasized to James when, according to his interview with the paper, The bird dipped down into a nearby field and came back up with a baby pig in its talons. According to the Republic, a woman named Norma Nolenberg broke with popular form and insisted the bird that she'd seen was an African-crowned crane that made a bellowing kind of trumpet noise. She exclaimed, I never heard such a loud noise coming from a bird in my life. This was the first report that either bird, seen solo or together, had made any sort of sound. And, rather oddly, Mrs. Nolenberg, who herself saw the bird, also told the newspaper that the public's alleged sightings were getting out of hand. Meanwhile, the Thompsons of McLean County saw a single giant bird fly over their barn. Per the pantograph, Mr. Thompson described to officials the bird as brown with white tips and reported a similar size as the first witness. The Thompsons also spoke with the Republic, and that interview gave a little more detail. They backed up Ruth Lowe's original description that the bird most resembled a condor, not a turkey vulture. Mrs. Thompson explained, it looked like it was gonna land on the barn, but... I guess our yelling scared it off. It turned around and it flew back to Bloomington. We could see it for about a mile. It wasn't no scared flight either. It was real graceful. At this point, law enforcement, for the first time, expressed some sense that they were taking the report seriously. Oddly, it had to do with their opinion of two of the witnesses, the Thompsons, who'd seen the bird they agreed to look like a condor above their barn. The sheriff of McLean County, Robert Boyd, described them as reliable and said, When I heard some of the earlier reports, I figured people must be in the sauce. But these are responsible people. We're going to investigate. But, as Dr. William Beecher, director of the Chicago Academy of Sciences, explained to the Chicago Daily, a condor weighs about 21 pounds. It's a variety of vulture. Its feet are not going to pick up anything that way. There has never been in the history of the world, living or extinct, a bird big enough to pick up a person. And the experts completely discounted the evidence of a local fisherman, Texas John Huffer, who claimed to have spotted both and captured one of the birds on film from his boat. He told the Chicago Tribune that the birds, quote, deposited drop the size of baseballs around their roost which was an enormous tree near the water, and reported to the Lincoln Star that I weigh 260 pounds and I didn't want to get too close. He said he filmed one of the birds, which was alleged to appear with its mate. He described the bird as black, with a sizable body and a wingspan of about 23 feet. He described its call as weird, primeval, an awful kind of clacking noise. Unsurprisingly, Local scientists disputed the capability of birds native to North America to make any such noise. His film was apparently shown on local TV, but, irritatingly, no description was included in the articles that we found. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? According to the Pantograph, a local radio station briefly offered rewards for the capture of one or both big claws, but hastily rescinded their prize when officials reminded them that the capture of large birds of prey is illegal. Apparently, they'd wanted to display one or both alive, they insisted, at a local county fair. Barring a fuzzy photograph that one local produced, which honestly looks like a picture of a confused peacock standing on a roof, and this film captured by Mr. Huffer, which we've never seen, there didn't seem to be much for police to go on. Now, there was a fellow from Texas who wrote into the local papers reporting a similar incident in Rio Grande in 1976, which local reporters were able to verify. At least that it had been covered, not that birds themselves had been real. But no hard evidence ever turned up to back up the claims of big claw believers. And eventually, well, the big claw, or big claws, seemed to fly south. After all, summer ends, and big birds gotta do what big birds gotta do, imaginary or real. Most of the witnesses were left unscathed by their experiences, something interesting to discuss around the water cooler. But not the Lowe's. They had to change their phone number just to avoid harassing phone calls. But the rest of central Illinois was quite willing to both enjoy the Big Claw sideshow and write off the only people with direct physical contact as liars or just plain loons. After all, they couldn't have had a real run in with anything that strange, not in their area. They'd gotten themselves all worked up over a dizzy turkey vulture and stirred everyone else up too. Well, maybe. Except for one strange thing. It turns out that there were some unusual birds loose in Illinois in the summer of 1977. As was reported in multiple Wisconsin outlets in August of 1977, not one, but two African marabou storks escaped from the Chicago Brookfield Zoo the summer that the Big Claw sightings occurred. In fact, according to the Kenosha News, in just a six-week period, the birds separately managed to break free from their enclosures. Somehow, both mated all the way to Wisconsin. And just how did they escape? It apparently came down to their flight feathers growing back too quickly after clipping. That, and as the zookeeper's Intendant of Birds, Dennis DeCourcy told the news, the bird's liftability is nothing short of phenomenal. Now, when you hear the phrase Marabou stork, you may imagine a delicate, graceful creature. Stop it. Instead, picture a cartoon vulture on steroids that someone has blow-dried to make it look extra fluffy and angry. Now, put it on stilts. Then, attach an evil, sharp beak to its naked, wobbly, pink head. Per the Kenosha News, the Marabou stork has a wingspan of six and a half feet and it is nearly five feet tall. They don't have voice boxes, but per just birding, they can make a really awful noise just by clicking their beaks and using their bulging throat sacks. Marabous eat both carrion and live prey, and they sometimes hunt. Now, they only weigh 10 to 20 pounds, so they mostly stick to small prey. Could a marabou stork or two of them, if they'd somehow managed to link up, possibly have been the birds in Illinois, we'll go with a hearty, maybe. At least for some of the reports. After all, the timeline fits. The first escapee broke out in mid-July and died on recapture, although it's not specified when. Articles indicate that the zoo planned to set out on a mission to catch it around the beginning of August, and per the Kenosha News, the second bird was still at large on August 30th, 1977. The zoo was about two hours away from Lawndale, where the Lowe family lived. Pretty far, you might say, for two escaped storks to make it, but considering they eventually turned up in Wisconsin, which is also two hours away from the zoo, perhaps they were overachievers who might have made another flight. But maybe most importantly, is the following question. Could a marabou possibly have picked up a 65-pound child? We think the answer there is a resounding no. Not even if they had really excellent teamworking skills. Maybe that fierce launching ability that the zoo superintendent described could have knocked someone off their feet, which could have felt like being carried away. Maybe. If the Marabou were involved, they certainly could account for some of the sightings, particularly on the outer rim of towns. But what about Marlin's story? How do we explain that? Is it, as the History Channel has hinted, a close encounter with something unexplainable, like the Thunderbird? Was it simply a dizzy adolescent turkey vulture that crash-landed into a little boy's life? Marlon's family certainly didn't appreciate the notoriety they gained. Could a mother and child really mistake a crash landing with the experience of a ten-year-old being grabbed by the shoulders and hauled skyward like that unlucky pig that James Majors described? Strangers, we don't pretend to know the answer. After all, how far away are any of us, really, from becoming the next story of the week? It only takes the flutter of a few feathers for folks to think we've gone, well, bird-brained. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story, from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers one strange thing is an entirely independent production to support the show and hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar join us over on patreon there you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes full-length bonus episodes and plenty of other fun content all for five dollars a month we hope you'll check it out there's a link in the show notes